to songs. Let's give them a hand as they come tonight. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, you can. Oh. <laughs> hey, my name is Ruth. For those who don't know me, which you hopefully all do. Hey, friends. Um, I just want to give a quick testimony. Um, I've been in the church for 14 years now, um, and I thank God for somebody who came and knocked on my door and told me about Jesus Christ. My marriage was in shambles. I really struggled with parenting. I dealt a lot with being angry, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of bitterness. I was very, un I, I did not trust men. Um, and God, you know, used um, that person who knocked on my door. Um, they actually introduced me into, um, to Diani Tijero, and she actually helped me to learn to become a mom and to become a wife. And God used her to show me who he was. So I really do, you know, just encourage you, you know, that, you know, that God loves you and he sees you and he sends people to you to show you who he is. And because of that, I am here now. Me and my husband have been married for almost 19 years. We have four beautiful kids um, and we're here today. So, you know, I encourage you that if you are wavering on deciding if you're going to stay focused on God or leave, stay focused on God, you never know what he'll do.
Amen. That was wonderful. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I know Hoss Snell and the group have been working hard on that. Amen. We do appreciate it. If you're here this morning, we had a fantastic time on the scars. Uh, he preached and just a fantastic sermon. Just, I'll tell you, God started something this morning that's going to continue along this week. But let me tell you a few things about Pastor Tory Williams. He, it's a real blessing to have him here. He's assistant Chandler. That's no easy task. Amen. He got uh, stuff on his plate all the time. Amen. He's uh, been a missionary in Barbados. He pastored in Spring Lake for five years as well. Built that up to a powerful work of God when he was there. So we're real privileged to have a nice kid. Give him a hand as he comes. Yeah. You, Amen. Glory to God. So appreciate that. Tonight, the invitation. The choir, amen, always good to see people doing something for Jesus. You can do something for Jesus or you can do nothing for Jesus. I prefer people to do something for Jesus. Glory to God. Appreciate that. Amen. I'm going to get right to it tonight. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Got a lot to get through tonight, so... Uh, back in the spring of 2000, uh, Kim Mulkey, she was the uh, assistant. At that point in 2000, she had served as a very long-time assistant coach. And after that season, their head coach, his name was Leon uh, Barmore, I believe, he was retiring as the head coach. And Kim Mulkey went to interview. She interviewed with the president of Louisiana Tech, okay? And she wanted a five-year contract, but they only offered her a four-year contract. And she said when they did not offer her the additional year, in her mind, she said it confirmed what she already knew, that they had questions about how committed they actually wanted to be with her and how committed they would be long-term. Mulkey went on to write a book, she called it, it was titled, Won't Back Down. And in that book, uh, Kim Mulkey says, she says, as I was sitting there in that chair, she's talking about in the president's office, uh, she said, I went through every feeling imaginable. Um, she said, I got out of my chair 
onto my knees and I literally begged that man for a five-year contract. She said tears were flying everywhere. It was very humiliating. When Louisiana Tech stood firm at four years, Moki said, I realized it was time for me to go. She ended up leaving, uh, at that time, would have been a championship program. She ended up leaving the only state she had ever lived in, Louisiana, and she went to a program uh, in Texas called Baylor University. When Kim Mulkey went to Baylor University at the time, uh, uh, they had never been to an NCAA tournament ever. Baylor was coming off a season where they had only won seven games out of 29 games. Long story short, if you know anything about this program, Baylor went on in Kim Mulkey's tenure to win three national championships. A few other times they went to the grade eight and the final four. And while I was reading this, what triggered this, I was reading her article because in 2020, Kim Mulkey was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Her decision has gone on to be called one of the most significant moves in women's basketball history. What caught my attention is Moki made a statement as she was referring back to sitting uh, in that president's office back in the spring of 2000 and feeling like literally an opportunity of a lifetime was slipping away from her. She said, and I quote, she said, at the time, I felt like a door had been slammed in my face. But little did I know there was a greater door being opened to me. I want to preach a sermon about closing open doors and a sermon I've entitled Trusting God's Guidance out of Acts chapter 16. Verse 6, it begins. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. God, we come tonight by the blood of Jesus. We're grateful for another opportunity to assemble. We're asking you, God, that in this place, God, you'd speak to men and women where they are. Help us, God, in discerning doors. Give us wisdom beyond ourselves. I thank you for every person here. If there's any unsaved, do what only you can do and save them. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Trusting God's guidance. Let's look firstly tonight at open doors. Very interesting when you look into the Bible that doors are mentioned over 180 times in the Bible. Some of them are open. Many of them are closed. The book of Revelation, Jesus is writing to a church, the church in Philadelphia, and he says these words, Revelation 3, 7 and 8. And to the church, the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. These things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens doors and no one shuts, and shuts doors and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. And so Jesus is writing to this church and he says a couple things. He tells them, one, I am able to open doors uh, that no one can close, uh, and I'm also able to close doors that no one can open. The second thing he goes on to tell this church, he says, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. And so this open door speaks of opportunity. It speaks of blessing in God's favor. If you know anything about the church of Philadelphia, they were the only church that Jesus didn't have a rebuke for. And he's telling them out of the seven churches, I have set before you an open door. There is favor. There is blessing. There is opportunity in Genesis chapter seven. The Bible says that God opens a door for Noah and his family. And in verse 7, we read that they go through that door. They get on that ark. And by verse 16, after all the animals that come in, the Bible says no one else was allowed in. Why? Because God has shut the door. Verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, 
Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he tells them, uh, he says, I want to come to visit you, but I can't right now because I'm currently in Ephesus where God has opened a great and an effectual door to me. In other words, Paul says, listen, I want to minister to you, but he's recognizing them. He's saying, listen, there's a door that's open uh, right where I am today and I must take advantage of this open door. No doubt there are some of you here tonight and you are experiencing in your life an open door. That is to say your walk with God tonight is flowing. Uh, you have very few struggles. Uh, there may seem to be little resistance in your life. Uh, you are living the vision um, that you believe God has given to you. Some would even say you're living your dream. Listen, make no apologies for that. Celebrate it. God has given that to you. He has opened a door for you and you have every right to step into those open doors. In our text, we have the Apostle Paul and what is happening is Paul is actually on his second missionary journey. And he is seeking to go to Asia. He's already been there before. Uh, he's seeking to go to Asia. Uh, it actually would be Asia Minor today. Today we would call it Turkey. Uh, but just as a way of backdrop, I want to take you uh, a few steps back and look at Paul's first missionary journey. This actually began in Acts chapter 13. And the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas, uh, uh, who were all a part of the early church uh, uh, in Antioch, Paul says they're there ministering. In verse 2, it says that the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said these words, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then in verse 3, we read that the other elders laid hands on them. They prayed for them and sent them away. That word sin in that text speaks of a missionary journey. And so now here Paul and Barnabas and they took John Mark along with them. Here they are. The Bible says they go to a place called Seleucia. They go to a place called Cyprus. Then they go to Salamis and they preach the word of God to all the Jews there in the synagogue. Now it bears noting that here they are sent out as missionaries and it bears noting that they seem to have done this without any sort of committee, without logging on to Google first and doing, you know, a demographic search. No marketing survey. They didn't first, you know, have to go and scout the land. They didn't go, you know, to a place where they already had connections. No, Paul and Barnabas, they went without any of these things. They went with simply the call of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you something here tonight. When God wants you to do something, when God has something in mind for you to accomplish, you don't need to have 500 ducks in a row. It doesn't need a thousand confirmations. If you'll just hear from God and be obedient and trust God, that is all God needs in order to use your life. People come to me all the time. Pastor, I want God to use my life. Well, I say he will if you'll just get in tune with his voice. I ask them, will you commit to reading your word and trusting God? Because the, the will of God is not a mystery. We spend so much time wondering about the concealed will of God. But if we just start with the revealed will of God, we'd be way down the road. I tell people, are you willing to trust him no matter what he might ask of you? Because if you can do those simple things, God is ready to mightily use your life. Verse four says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Can I just say something right here for free. <laughs> See, the Christians in Antioch commissioned Paul and Silas. They laid hands on them. Uh, excuse me, Barnabas. Uh, they laid hands on them. Uh, but more importantly, our text says that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me tonight. Any group of Christians can send somebody. Uh, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't send them, uh, it won't amount to a very effective ministry. Yeah. See, our conferences, we launch couples into the harvest field. It is a glorious scene. And listen, it's important not just that their pastors believe in them or that the elders somehow lay hands on them. Those things are well and good. But ultimately, our trust is that God has called them and he is the one who is actually sending them out by his spirit. Make no mistake about it. We are simply called to help facilitate what God 
is desiring to do. So here's Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. And they're traveling from Antioch to Cyprus to Iconium. They go to Derby. They go to a place called Lystra. You can put up the map here, if you will, just to kind of give you an idea. And so the Bible says, if you can see here, Paul is actually, if you know Paul's history, he's from Tarshish. They go to Derby. They go to Iconium. They go to Lystra. And so when you're reading these places in your Bible, they're actually in Asia. They're going from place to place. They're laying a foundation. They're building churches. Uh, Acts uh, chapter 14, verse 23. This is before our text. Uh, it actually tells us that they were, they were going to these churches. They were able to raise up elders in these churches. Uh, and so the point is uh, they weren't just going and preaching. Uh, they were actually pioneering. They were establishing churches. It was a glorious scene. They were experiencing the incredible hand of God, and God's favor was absolutely with them. So much so that when they get back to their original launching church back in Antioch, here's what the Word of God says in Acts 14, 27. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith. To the Gentiles. Did you catch that? It's almost like a conference report. They come back, they're reporting about how God had opened doors. Now they mention here the Gentiles, but the truth is, God had opened one door after another door after another door. It was one door after the next. Later we read in chapter. 15 verse 40 it says Paul goes and now he has Silas with him and it says that he was commended by the brethren to the grace of God and verse 41 and he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches again open doors the grace of God green light after green light it is like everything Paul is doing God was with him God's hand was upon him green light after green light it was working Stacia and I experienced a, a portion of this when we first went to Spring Lake back in, we got launched in 2009, we got there January 1st of 2010, and honestly, it was like everything we did, it worked. It was our first church, and in many ways, we didn't have a clue what we were actually doing. <laughs> you know, we, we act like we do, but in total honesty, it was the complete grace of God on that church, and it seemed like God just kept opening one door after another door after another. That's how things were going for the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. But now in our text tonight, Paul is about to go on his second missionary trip. This time, instead of Barnabas and John Mark, he takes Silas and he also takes his disciple Timothy with him. And again, it, it seems like they just pick up where Paul left off the last missionary trip in Acts chapter 16, right before our text, verse 4 and 5. It says, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened. There's that word again, strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. That term strengthened means muscular. It means complete. Uh, and so they're going to these churches uh, and uh, Paul is trying to figure out, you know, it's the second trip around what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, where he can help them. Uh, he's under he's trying to understand how can I help build these churches up? Uh, and so he does that in one. Then he goes to the next one. He builds them up. He goes to the next one. And again, the picture is success after success after success. I mean, our text says that the numbers increase Daily. Hello, somebody. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Because it's quite a scene of success. Can you say man? Let's talk then secondly about closed doors. Because again, here's Paul, success after success, open door after open door. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's like the door shuts. It doesn't just close. It literally slams shut. God doesn't announce it. God doesn't explain it. He doesn't give Paul a heads up that this is coming. It's just a red light. Verse 6 of our text says they went through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, having been forbidden by their weak faith, no, by the Holy Spirit, 
to preach the word in Asia. Verse 7, after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but Satan did not allow. No, but the spirit of God did not permit them. You know, there are some people who in their theology, it's as if God is only in charge of opening doors. It's like every shut door, somehow it has to do with Satan and the power of Satan uh, that is keeping us from obtaining certain things, uh, and we just need a breakthrough. It's everybody's ministry today. We just need a breakthrough. And listen, I, I certainly understand that some closed doors, uh, God absolutely wants you and I to break through. I've preached sermons on, you know, the four friends who are carrying their paralytic friend uh, and they get to a house where Jesus is ministering. Uh, and the Bible says they couldn't get through the door because it's so packed. The crowd is crowding through the door. And literally, you know, the story, the Bible says they climb up on the roof. Uh, they remove the rooftop and they lower their friend uh, right in the center of where Jesus is ministering. Jesus does an incredible miracle. He, he, he heals this paralytic. Uh, and the issue was uh, it was a closed door that needed to be broken through. We also know that Jesus says, I stand outside of a closed door which represents the human heart. And he says, I want to do what? In other words, he says, I stand there and I knock. So evidently his obvious desire is for a closed door to be open. So I get that. What I'm speaking of tonight is the power and the sovereignty of God. When it comes to your life and my life, and when it comes to the will of God for your life, God says, I can open doors that no one can shut, but I can also shut doors that no one can open. In other words, what God is saying is I'm in control here. It's not just the devil shutting you down. This is not even man. Oh, it's man. No, 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 no. It's not even man. It's me. Yeah. See, know this. There will be times in your life where God steps on the landscape with one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to absolutely close a door in your life. There was a song years ago, uh, a country song by Garth Brooks. Thank God for unanswered prayers. I mean, remember, sometimes I thank God. I know I'm not Patrick Johnson, but <laughs> I think I heard him sing that song before. But, you know, in the first verse, it's where a guy, he runs into his old high school sweetheart and he starts mentally going down memory lane. And, you know, he start, he's thinking all this through. And, uh, uh, you know, they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And he's thinking about how he used to pray that the Lord would one day allow him to marry her and, and she would become his wife. And then he goes to the second verse uh, and he kind of comes back from this little trip down memory lane. Uh, and he looked at the wonderful wife uh, that God had blessed him with. Uh, and he's looking at his wife. He's thinking and he said, thank God for unanswered prayer. Thank God that he shut a door. Do you know you could be here tonight and there are some doors that God wants to shut in your life. Let me ask you, have you ever wanted to go somewhere and you can't? Have you ever wanted to do something and God says no? See, we think that as long as what I want to do is for God, then why would God not allow me to do it? Can I just say something here tonight? Just because something is godly doesn't mean it's God. Just because something is godly doesn't mean it's of God. I'm going to read a quote to you, and you tell me if this sounds godly. Someone spoke this years ago. It says, if we continue on this path, respectable, industrious, and honest, if we fulfill our duty faithfully, it is my conviction the Lord God will continually help us in the future. He will not leave respectable people in the lurch indefinitely. He may test them, but in the end, he lets his sun shine upon them and gives them his blessing. Now, that sounds like something some great preacher would say. But you know who I just quoted? Adolf Hitler. See, anyone can sound godly can speak Christian and be a phony. Yeah. See, just because something is godly 
doesn't mean it's God. It's people who think that they can just serve God anywhere. Well, God's everywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's what makes him God. But that doesn't mean he wants you anywhere. Because you're not God. See, here in our text are Paul and Silas. And they want to go to Asia. But they can't get in. And no, no doubt they're thinking, hey, man, this, did, those places need the gospel. Hey, those people need Jesus. Those places need a good church. We just want to go and preach. But they were forbidden. God shut the door. See, we see that twice here. They were prevented by God to going and doing what they wanted to do for God. What happens when God shuts a door in your life? A door you want to go through. Are you okay with that? Do you serve a God who is that big and that sovereign? See, this is very hard for us, I believe, especially as Americans. You know, I thank God for America. I really do. Having lived out of the country, having visited nearly 20 countries. Listen, I absolutely love America. And I love, you know, that we're such a blessed nation. If anybody don't believe that, they haven't left America. But, you know, if we're not careful, God shutting doors can be a very difficult part of our theology to accept. And to reconcile. Why? Because we're so addicted to success and it's so woven into our culture. I think sometimes we become entitled to our prosperity. You work hard, you persevere, you stay at it, you keep believing, and eventually, you know, everything will go your way. Isn't that the way we think? And that's fine. But what if God closes a door that no man can open? What if there's a door that God doesn't want you to go through? See, sometimes God guides in the negative. In other words, he gives you direction by not allowing you to go in certain directions. God often directs by dead ends. Proverbs 37, verse 23, very familiar. The steps of a good man are ordered by God. We love to quote that, and that is real, but listen, I'm here to tell you, not only are the steps ordered by God, but the stops are also ordered by God. So we have to realize that sometimes God has to stop us so that he can steer us in the right direction. question is, do you have that somewhere in your theology? Do you have in your theology a real desire to praise and thank God for the closed doors of your life. When's the last time you stood up or heard somebody stand up and give a testimony? Guys, listen to what God has done to, in my life. He has said no in a variety of ways. <laughs> You're like, well, what kind of praise report would that be? A godly one. Closed doors. Maybe it's a desire to be married and it's not happening. Infertility can be a closed door. Not getting a job that you applied for, ministry opportunity that disappears or comes to an end. The list could go on and on. See, in our text, Paul has a desire that God doesn't share with him. We'll see in a moment that God has a dream that Paul's not ready for. And that could be any one of us. See, the problem is we declare things. God told me this. God told me that. God showed me. (laughs) And so what happens is we get married to our ways and our ideas. But how sure are we? Remember Joseph? You know, God didn't tell Joseph that I'm going to make your mom and dad bow down to you. But that's how Joseph interpreted it. He said, I see the sun and the moon and the stars. They're all bowing down. And, and, and God never said, but Joe's like, that's, that's, you, that's, you, mom, that's you and dad, mom. Y'all going to all be bowing down to me. <laughs> see, that's how he interpreted. You know, sometimes we think we hear God, but we misinterpret God. That's how we are. We get an inkling from God. 
and we set out to, and all of a sudden God's like, whoa, 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 wait, time out, stop, red light, shuts the door. And we're so confused, so tormented, we get so frustrated. See, listen to me, if you don't properly process closed doors in your life, it will always frustrate you when God's will comes in the way of your will. In our text, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they go from Phrygia to Galatia to Mycenae, and it is one closed door after another closed door after another. Uh, most scholars, if you read, it's months and months of closed doors. Let's close then and look at the blessing behind closed doors. You know what really encourages me about this story is that even the apostles weren't clear on what God's will for their lives was. God's will for their ministry. This is the apostle Paul, and here he is. He's like, I know that God wants me to do this. And God's like, nope. Wrong answer, Paul. Can I tell you, church, that's encouraging for me. Because let's be honest. If we be honest, you and I don't always know exactly what God wants us to do. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. He says there's a way, there's a path, if you will, that we so often want to take, and and we don't always know if it's God. It seems right, seems to be God, but we're uncertain. Now, we do know there is the sovereign will of God. There is this, this, this has to do with the works of God, the creation of the world, the birth of Jesus, uh, uh, the death, his resurrection. This is the sovereign will of God. There is the moral will of God, and we find this all throughout Scripture. The Bible says time and time again, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. It is the will of God that all men be saved. But then there is the perfect will of God that Romans talks about, the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. That is the part of the will of God that is unknown to us, and we're constantly trying to work this out. What is the next step God wants me to take? Where does God want me to go? go. And so that is the unfamiliar part. But I'll tell you, the more familiar we are with God's sovereign will and the more obedient we are to his moral will, the easier it will be to decipher his perfect will. So we may feel strongly about it. We may even have somebody else confirm it. But still, is it the will of God? That's why it's so important that we allow God to direct our paths. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. You know, I love that verse. And every year, it's like God shows me more and more just how real it is. We make plans. It's good to make plans. It's diligent. It's, it's a, it can even be called good stewardship to make plans. But listen, our heart gets set on these plans, and, but God's trying to direct our step. See, in our text, after months and months of closed doors... Paul and his crew, the Bible says they're there in a place called Troas. And as they're there, Paul gets a vision. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. What is Macedonia? It's in Greece. You can put that. You can put the map back up. Now, I want you to see Paul right now. He's gone from Phrygia, if you can see that. Phrygia, most scholars believe he's right around Ephesus, back in, this is the major uh, hub there. You see we just read about Mycenae, about Bithynia, and this is where Paul wanted to go. He wanted to go back to Ephesus, he wanted to go back to Bithynia is what our scripture says, but he ends up in Troas. Now Troas is a little seaport town, you can see it's right along the water. And the Bible says that Paul, now he gets a vision, he recognizes from God. It's a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. No doubt, we've heard plenty of sermons on that. But what's so powerful to understand is if Paul was still in Phrygia where he wanted to be or Bithynia, most scholars believe that's that's at least a couple hundred miles away. They didn't have automobiles. When Paul got that call, from Macedonia, 
he was right at a seaport. In fact, in our verse said, they hopped on the next ship immediately and they made their way to Macedonia, right across the way to Greece. He was right in the place that he needed to be. In other words, it turned out that God knew exactly what he was doing after all. Go figure. Text says immediately he obeys. Immediately he sought to to go to Macedonia. It's interesting, Paul didn't say, you know, he didn't demand that. Well, before I go to Macedonia, you're going to have to explain what Asia was about. You know how we are. You got to explain all those closed doors. No, Paul just did what he's always done. He just obeys God and continues to walk forward by faith. And our text says they get over to Macedonia. They eventually put that. You can just leave that picture up. They eventually get to Philippi. You can see that right at the top of Macedonia. If you can see those words, uh, uh, Philippi, Berea is also in our text. So they get to Philippi. And as they're there, Sabbath, the Sabbath comes. It's time to go to church. And so uh, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they did what they typically do on the Sabbath. They went to find a place to preach and to have church. Now, in Philippi, evidently in Philippi, they had a very small Jewish presence because history tells us that if there were just 10 Jewish men there who were head of families, they would have a synagogue in that place. But we know that Philippi had no synagogue. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas, they did what was pretty common in that day. The Bible says they woke up, they went down by the river or the lake to have a time of prayer, perhaps do some preaching. And then we read verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she had heard when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for a minute, because this is not the vision that Paul had back in verse nine. When he arrives there in Paul, I mean, in Philippi, it's interesting, in Macedonia, he doesn't meet a man from Macedonia. He meets a woman from Thyatira. Thyatira would be right where that word Asia is. In front, between Ephesus and Mycenae, Thyatira is right there. Now, I want you to think about this. Because in our mind, if you're going to have me witness to this lady who's from Thyatira, just keep me over here. But God sent this lady to Macedonia. And Paul has an encounter with her. She ends up, uh, her and her whole household gets saved, gets baptized. She becomes the first convert in the Philippian church, so much so that the church started in her house. Listen, our God's very smart. He knows what he's doing. He literally said, you go over there. And Paul's got to be thinking, I just left over there. See, sometimes, and this is what you got to understand, sometimes closed doors lead to open hearts. The Bible says the woman whose heart God had opened. See, I can almost envision Paul. Well, that's not what I expected. I know it was a man that I saw in the vision. And yet here were these women no doubt. God, what is this? You mean that the reason I couldn't go to Asia and edify and start more churches and preach the gospel is because you wanted me to hold a women's Bible study? That's what I would have been thinking. Lydia and her friends? God, what is this about? I want to go. For... Yeah. They don't even have a synagogue here. But again, what we're looking at is the beginning of the church at Philippi. Little did Paul know that God was using this lady, Lydia. Many scholars believe because of the purple and what it took to make purple in those days, the dye and everything, she would have been a very, very well-off businesswoman. Uh, and so God was using her in this whole ordeal uh, to begin and pioneer this church. What does that tell us when it comes to our life? Listen, God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. Paul went on, if you 
follow it through Acts after this happened. He went on, and from there the Philippian jailer gets saved. It's a very powerful conversion. This gospel began to spread uh, all over Europe. Uh, uh, Paul went to Thessalonica. He preached there in Acts chapter 17. Uh, we read that many were persuaded, many were converted and followed Paul at Silas. Then he went to Berea. That is up. You can see Thessalonica up there. He went to Berea up there. And the Bible says folks received the word. Acts 17, 12. Listen, that many of them, speaking of Berea, many of them believed. Paul went from there. Uh, to, came down to Athens. You can see Athens right here. He went there. Then he went to Corinth uh, and pioneered and started and helped start the, Cor the Corinthian church. We read all about that in our Bible. Uh, my point is what God, what Paul went on to do instead of uh, edifying these churches in Phrygia and Mycenae that were already there, literally what he went on to do is the stuff of legend. It's incredible what he did. An entire continent was reached. Why? Because God closed the door to what he wanted to do. You know, it's not until you walk through an open door and look back, can you see the reason for the closed door? You walk through an open door, you look back, you're like, what was that? When God, I mean, I know I heard from God, I know. Something else very interesting. We're going we're to pray a couple things. Think back to the very first verse that we read tonight, verse 6 and 7, where it says that Paul wanted to go to Phrygia, Galatia, verse 7 says, Mycia and into Bithynia. That is where Paul wanted to go. That was his desire. I want to go to these places, but turn with me over to 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We can put this up, brother. It would, it would help us. First Peter chapter one. I want to read it together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus to the pilgrims of the dispersion into Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. See, what Paul didn't know is as he's wanting to go to these places, Peter had already been deployed to these areas. Peter was already preaching and ministering to the, those regions in Asia. In other words, God already had it covered. Listen, sometimes we don't know what God is. Actually, most of the time, we don't know what God is doing. But we can rest assured that God is always at work. God always has a plan. How many figure out again, God is way smarter than we are. And so if God shuts the door in your life, it's either a timing issue or he'll open altogether a different door. I'll close. Station I. If you guys remember, or you heard in 2009, we were launched to Pearl City, Hawaii. And that's where we are launched. And I, I have a folder. Uh, I got the, the letter that I wrote to Pastor Campbell. I got our apartment that we had already picked out. I, I had things that confirmed that he had spoken to me about Pearl City, Hawaii, on and on it goes. And I remember a day we went into the office, we were there on staff already, and, and pastor says, um, okay, it's time, I've been kind of chugging, pastor, can we go, can we go? You know, we already announced it, and he says, well, you'll be the last to go, you're on staff, we need to get these other guys sent out, so I'm, I'm pulling at his coattail. Finally, he says, okay, get the container. We order the container. The next day, in the evening, I'm counseling the couple. I can remember the couple today. I'm sitting in the office. I tell them, excuse me, Pastor Campbell's calling me. And I call. He says, put the brakes on Hawaii. And he said, we'll talk about it in the morning. Hung up the phone. I'm like, uh-uh. That, I wanted to end the counseling session right there because now I need counseling. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, man, we all need help around here. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I finish that. I go home. And literally, I tell my wife. I tell them what Pastor Campbell, what happened. But I say, listen, babe. Don't worry, we're going to Hawaii. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm just letting you know, but don't get all in a tussle, you know. You know, we got our part, we're gone. The next day, he tells me it's been a moral failure, various things. So, so long story short, I remember December, we flew over to Spring Lake. And we flew there, and they're doing a Christmas play. And honestly, I'm, this is not a, it is an insult, but it's gracious. Your teen, your, your children's church could do a better Christmas play. They had, I'll never forget, they had snow 
they, it was a Christmas play. So they got a shoebox with some shaved potato skins. And <laughs> God know I love them. And the guy's over here, and when it's supposed to snow, he just like, and it's supposed to like move the box, and they got some holes in it. That was the sorriest snowstorm I ever seen. Fol folks over here in the sun, and folks right here it's snowing. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> but I never forget. There was these three ladies: Carmen, uh, Bethany, and Sarah. You may know Carmen's in our church in New York. Uh, she's married to a guy named Ecker. Great young couple. But she's they're there, and there's three flyers sitting on the table. And I remember the play was starting at 7.30. It's about 7.20. And they, they didn't know. They weren't doing this in person. I was just fly on the wall. And they said, oh, man, there's still three flyers here. We can get these flyers out. We don't want to waste these flyers. Now, mind you, I come from a, a, a mother church, a large church. After our event, we'll have hundreds of flyers. Put them in the trash. The event's over. And nobody thinks of second, second thought. But here are these three girls. There's three flyers, and they're thinking, we got to get these in the, in the hands of people. And God spoke to me right there. He says, listen, they don't have everything, but they got my heart. And I remember me and Stacia went to lunch. Gary Monins was pastoring in Havelock, him and uh, 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 Gary and Kathy. And as we're driving up to Ruby Tuesdays to go to lunch, and my wife and I started saying, look, man, we got a Ruby Tuesday. We got a Jersey Monday. We got a... And we looked at you. Are we saying we? We hadn't talked. I had just preached. We got in the car. But God had already said, this is where I want you. Pumped the brakes on Hawaii. God obviously shut that door. But as you know, listen, we went to Spring Lake, that church. We, I remember our first service, 34 people, January 1st, 2010. And before August, we had crossed over 100 people. We saw flame. By the time we handed over, we were bumping 200 people. And just four years later. But here we are. God has such a different plan. I'm so glad that we weren't just trying to kick the door down. Listen, sometimes when God closes a door, you got to be sensitive enough to say, you know what? You know, God's way smarter than me. Maybe he's got a plan. He's not just haphazard. And I've got to trust his guidance. I ask you to bow your heads with me. God, we thank you for the grace of God, for the blood of Jesus.